Imagine loving your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, where we are talking about what it's like to hit a midlife funk way earlier than expected, and then use it to follow your passion with a cause that is near and dear to your heart. In fact, my guest passion led her to a unique career of helping others get an education. I can't wait for you to meet my guest today. She's an extremely talented textile artist with a story that is so inspirational, you are not going to believe it. And it's also a great illustration of the importance of finding your why. But first, if this is your first time listening to the Women in the Middle podcast, welcome. I am so glad you're here. As a woman in the middle, I know how important it is to find other midlife women to connect and build a supportive community with. So, my friend, that is what you found here. You've got the podcast, and you've also got a standing invitation to join my free Facebook group, the Women in the Middle Podcast Community, where we keep the conversation from the podcast going. To join, just head over to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Women in the Middle Community. And if you're a regular listener and you're back, Awesome. I'm so glad you're here too. The show just wouldn't be the same without you. I do have a small request that I wanted to ask of you. I hope you're okay with it. It's about sharing the love. It would be so great for you to share this podcast with someone you know who might also enjoy some midlife mindfulness goodness. So many people don't know how easy it is for them to listen to podcasts. They don't understand that there's probably a podcast app already on their phones. They just don't know. I like to call podcasts a party in your purse because (laughs) there's just so much amazing content available to you, no matter what you're interested in. So make sure to show your friends about podcasts, tell them about how much you love this one, and, you know, just make an effort to share it. I would really, really appreciate it. People just, you know, They just love podcasts. It's so easy for them to enjoy it when they're walking, when they're driving, when they're doing all sorts of things. So I really, really appreciate your support. Now, as I'm recording this episode, it's actually one of those really pretty snowfalls going on outside. Yes, it's cold. Yes, it's winter. And yes, I'm mostly miserable in the winter when it's cold. But even I can appreciate how beautiful it is right now. It's light and fluffy snow. There's a huge window right next to me where I'm sitting and it's sticking. The snow is sticking to all of the tree branches. There's no wind, just a light, beautiful snowfall. And it just looks amazing. So even with my grouchiness, I can't deny that it's gorgeous. (laughs) So anyway, in order of one of the concepts that I teach on the podcast, I'm taking the time to notice it and be present with it, not rush through my observation with no appreciation or gratitude at all, right? (laughs) And I encourage you to do the same. What can you notice today that's beautiful, that you can really appreciate? 
that few seconds will be totally worth it. Now, I do digress just a bit, but I'm on the topic of beauty and appreciation, and that's definitely related to the story and experience that my guest today will be sharing. Her name is Joanne Jones, the extremely talented textile artist who founded Mind Recreations, where fashion is meaningful and style has a cause. Joanne makes one-of-a-kind handbags and satchels made from recycled clothing. And if this wasn't cool enough, Joanne's story gets even better. Through a chance meeting while listening to a visiting marimba band, Joanne saw a chance to blend her passion for design and drive to save the environment with her desire to create opportunity for the economically challenged young people of the world. By giving new life to old fabrics and accessories in handbags, memory pieces, mittens, and hat designs, and by contributing a portion of the proceeds of sales to scholarships for these engaged and already successful students, Mind Recreations could provide the funds for them to attend post-secondary education and experience the doors which it can open. A portion of the sales from each Mind Recreation is used to pay for an economically challenged student to attend school, like elementary, vocational, or college or university. As Joanne said, they are not single-story people. They are interesting people with complex and wonderful lives. Joanne also tells her personal story of hitting an early midlife funk and the transition of her career from a very traditional path to an entrepreneurial one. She was compelled to find her why and live in alignment with her passion. And you're going to be fascinated with how she figured that all out. I can't tell you how often I hear this from women our age. How do I find my passion? How do I understand my why? There's a ton of insight and inspiration in today's interview. You won't want to miss it. So please enjoy this episode. Hey, Joanne. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Oh, thanks, Susie, for welcoming me to your show. I was so excited to have you on. And first, I just want to share how I reconnected with you, which just still cracks me up. And I, I tell this story. <laughs> I think it's kind of a sign of midlife. So um, you were doing a show uh, at the One of a Kind Craft Show in Toronto, and I was so attracted to your work, and I went into your booth, and we started chatting, and we really struck up an interesting conversation, and you kept staring at me, and you said, do I know you from somewhere? And I said, oh, no, I couldn't even... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. You don't look familiar to me, but you didn't let it go. So we kept chatting. And of course, I purchased a beautiful bag, which we'll be talking about more. And then I posted on Facebook a picture of me holding the beautiful bag with the jacket that I was telling you about. And I just looked like a million bucks with this whole ensemble. And your brother saw it. And he said, yes. hey, What's Susie Rosenstein doing on your Facebook page? <laughs> and then it all came flooding back. You are the sister of one of my husband's dear friends, a long-term friend, and you even came to our wedding. So, of course, there was some familiarity there. 
But I hadn't seen best, you in w- best wedding hands down I've ever been to. Oh my gosh. Boy, did we have a laugh after that? Like, thank goodness you were so onto it. She looks familiar. She looks familiar. <laughs> so funny. So it's hard I to forget think... someone who's so jovial and friendly and happy. It's hard oh to forget someone like that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Well, I have been absolutely fascinated with you and your work ever since we reconnected that way. And so mm-hmm. I, I honestly, you blew me away. And when I re-met you after all those years, I wasn't yet doing the work that I'm doing now, but still your story created such a lasting impression. So when I started doing this work, I thought, oh my God, Joanne's story is so perfect and so inspirational. So could you tell us a little bit about, I think we'll just start at the beginning because it's really, when I think of your story, I think about it as a second career an early mm-hmm. midlife funk and somebody who follows their passion and all of mm. these things just make me tingle with excitement. So can you tell us a little bit about your first career? How did you end up doing what you were doing originally? That would be a great place to start. Well, it starts really during my degree and I was doing my university degree in public administration and economics. And I planned on heading into working in middle management once I finished my postgraduate studies uh, with the government, either at the provincial level or the federal level, I didn't know, but that's what I planned on doing. And then something came in called the social contract in Ontario, and it eliminated the layer of workspace where I would have entered when I graduated university. And I sat down with my parents and talked about what had transpired. And my mother said to me, Joanne, you're a good listener. You enjoy those personal relationships with people. I think you would do very well as a personal financial planner or manager or whatever term people use to describe that occupation. And I had been raised in finance, always had a secret dream of being a fashion designer but followed the direction of my parents. And so I spent the first uh, eight years of my career only doing finance for personal business owners, focused on funeral homeowners. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. And I helped those families transition their wealth, transition their businesses to next generations, to save for goals, all of those things, kind of functioning as the, like if you picture a wheel, I would coordinate like their accountant, lawyer, like all those different roles that they had and create one picture for the individual who hired me. Well, that really sounds like meaningful work. I'm sure everybody was very appreciative to get their, their financial situation in order. Um, hmm but so what I love about what happened to you was, though, that you hit this kind of this early midlife funk, which I find happens to so many people for a variety of reasons. You don't need to be in your 40s and 50s to hit a midlife funk. A lot of times it has to do with stage. So you found yourself doing this work for a while. And when mm-hmm. did you first notice that you started to think, Ugh, I don't know about this? In 1996. I was 26 years old and 
I had something called uh, idiopathic aplastic anemia, which is an unexplained disease that kills your stem cells. And your stem cells are vital to living. And so I required a transplant. And here I found myself at a renowned university hospital with a 50-50 chance to live. The third person with this disease to ever live from it if the transplant worked. And a number of people that went before me losing their lives as doctors really figured out how to treat this disease. Wow. So I I lived. I remember hearing about this and it was so scary. I can't even imagine what you were going through at such, such a young age. Well, when you have such low blood cellularity, you're not thinking about a loss. Because <laughs> <laughs> so. there isn't a lot of oxygen getting to your mind, but you just kind <laughs> oh of walk God. what your trusted people, wow. the people in your circle tell you to do. That's what you have to, when, that's why it's so important when we face challenges that we have our circles right? That are there, are trusted, and we know that they have our back and our best interest. And so I walked that path based on what people, the advice people gave me, and I lived. Thank God. Oh my God. What? How I know, but I say old? that like it was not, it was not guaranteed and other people didn't live. Yeah. And so then as you asked, that's what set me on this journey of trying to understand why I was alive and someone else wasn't. Uh-huh. So how long was mm-hmm. that phase when you started to feel sick and then felt like you had recovered? Well, um, when I started to feel sick, it was about six to eight months before I was officially diagnosed. And feeling better has really been a shift in mindset to a new normal right? And being happy with what you have and accepting that it's enough. I love that you said that. You couldn't have put it better, actually. Mindset is so, so critical. So Mm. you started on that path. What Mm. happened next for you? What happened next for me was that secret dream um, started to build together with what I wrote my thesis on in university, which was recycling. And an observation of the amount of textile waste we were producing as Westerners, because now recycled clothing stores were not just for people who might be street exposed or suffering systemic poverty or whatever else might be on that list that would have someone needing to shop at that kind of store. It was these stores were coming up everywhere because we just had so much waste. And so I started to dream about what we could do to manage our own waste in a beautiful way. So when you were working in finance, what Mm -hmm. were you able to do in terms of textiles and sewing? Like what was happening for you while you were very busy before you were sick? Uh, How did you find time to tap into that part of who you were? I always made time for it each day because it, was the place where I solved problems, Mm. where my hands could be busy and I could process the day, process people's information, uh, process whether someone was being honest with me in finance meetings. 
or whether they were leading me according to their agenda. All those things got worked out in front of the sewing machine. Getting to know myself, uh, who I was as a woman, and hearing my voice stronger than anyone else's. Because when you're the youngest of five children, there's a lot of voices in your head. (laughs) And so your, your voice, my voice needed to take the driver's seat, right? In terms of how other people speak into our lives, who I saw myself to be and how I wanted to express myself. That was the voice that needed to push me forward. Yeah. Oh, I love that you shared that. I'm the oldest of five. And so I think that's a, that's a great perspective for me to um, become more familiar with. <laughs> well, I can't imagine being the oldest. There's, I never experienced those pressures. Yeah. And I can't imagine uh, being the youngest. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a very creative observation that you're having now. So there's recycled there's, which you were so passionate about that you focused on it from a different perspective in university. Then there's mm-hmm. turning recycled clothing into something beautiful. There's your passion for sewing and creating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is, it sounds like, a successful career path in finance. Yes, and I'm so thankful for that part of my career because it gave me the foundations of... <clears throat> Understanding the simplest thing of that I just finished a show and one needs to pay the booth fee the next year. So all of that is not available to give away. Right? <laughs> so those, and I realize it's, it's giggle worthy and it's simple, but some of those things one doesn't understand if they haven't had a business background from the simple to the more complex. Definitely, definitely. Okay, mm-hmm. so did you end up going back into finance? after your illness, when you were ready to work again? I did. I worked in finance uh, for another 14 years. And for 10 of those 14 years, I I slowly started secretly (laughs) working, working with these recycled textiles and figuring out how, how I could use them to make beautifully crafted artwork how that could interact with the public and what the primary goal of that creativity was, right? And so that took me five years. So from age 30 to 35, I was doing finance and developing this idea of working with recycled textiles. Then at age 35, I came out of hiding. And for five years, I worked at both finance and my textile art career. And then at age 40, I gave up all of my licenses, all of my designations and such that I had worked towards because I was concerned that if things got a little bit difficult in the art world, I could easily just run back to finance. And that wasn't who I wanted to be. Oh my gosh. I have the biggest grin on my face. I know you can't see it in podcast land and you can't see it in the interview, but <laughs> I, I just had two people this week, two clients talk about that, uh, mm-hmm. about the, the pros and cons to making a clean cut and moving forward or mm-hmm. having some kind of a goal, like a financial goal reached before they do that. And mm-hmm. I, 
like, what can you describe your fear a little bit? You said you were in hiding. What was that like when you had this dream? You were testing the dream. You were creating the the mechanics of the dream, but you you had you were in hiding. Why do you use that terminology? Because craftsmanship is has been such an important key to how I live, and I would never want to enter into a professional sphere of textile art where many people exist already and assert myself on their community and not be ready. Like because impos- I think, imposter type of thing. Right, because I think a lot of people use the word artist, but there isn't the time and the craftsmanship and the training and the longevity And I'm not saying when I actually launched that I would have called myself an artist then. I think I've told you before at the beginning, I'm so thankful to the people who engaged with my art and shopped from me. They were buying two rectangles sewn together with a belt. (laughs) This is amazing, right? That That they saw something in what I was doing. And to them, I am so thankful because I wouldn't be here today with advanced in advancing in my craftsmanship, advancing in my vision, advancing in my ability to express myself through textile. Without those people who bought the two rectangles sewn together, I wouldn't be here. Oh my gosh. And so my heart is filled with gratitude to them. I love that. But I actually thought you were going to say something else. What did you think I was going to say? I thought that it was something... that there was some fear or embarrassment or something like that with your family maybe to give up such a, uh, you know, maybe guaranteed career is not the right word, but a traditional uh, career path. Or, you know, I had a lot of feeling uh, uh, to post anything about my new career on LinkedIn, for example, because I know that there are many people uh, who don't know any, don't appreciate what a life coach can offer. So I was a little embarrassed um, uh, because I came from an academic uh, profession and career and background and family to, to start posting information about my new career to kind of let the cat out of the bag. But it's nothing mm-hmm. like what you're talking about. So I thought it might be something like that. You really wanted mm. that 10,000 hours sort of concept to like to really earn your, your stripes as a textile artist before you entered into that sphere. It wasn't the other, it sounds like. Correct. Because when I actually started that five-year internship with myself, <laughs> I was um, translating all the skills that had been given to me in the first 30 years of my life, uh, creating garments uh, onto handbags, right? So I needed to understand how to interpret those skills that I had and using the resources and materials and things that are available to make sure that what I was making was of quality. Yes. So you Mm -hmm. can see in, in that time period, you really shifted dramatically from a hobbyist mm-hmm. to an artist, somebody with a, a deep passion. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's fascinating because I can sit at, at the show that you mentioned earlier in your program 
the one of a kind show in Toronto. And I can sit with a woman who really is and honest about the fact that she wants a piece of the pie. And that's what's important to her. And what is important to me is my craftsmanship. And that I'm always pushing the bar for myself. Higher, higher, higher. So that clients who understand textile art and have understood it well before I even started are surprised and smile when they see my work. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love the way you're challenging yourself. So then Mm -hmm. you let all the finance stuff drop. Mm -hmm. Formal stuff. Yes, I did. Of course, your your business benefited from it. Um, So then what happened? What was that like to move forward in this business? It was new, and I don't like new. (laughs) It was experience after experience of faking being an extrovert. (laughs) Um, It was learning to accept criticism from people who are not clients and what are you going to do with that information. It was learning to accept praise and it was waiting and listening, finding the greater purpose for what I was doing. Ah, okay. Yeah, I love how you describe that transition between uh, a, a kind of typical tried and true career path unknown of not just being an entrepreneur, but being an artist. That was beautifully said. And you know, whenever we make a transition, there's a lot of discomfort. And some of us never (laughs) make that transition because it's just too damn scary. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fearless would be an asset. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things One of the things that uh, I talk to clients about all the time is, you know, to recognize fear as an emotion. It's an emotion like any other emotion. It's coming from our thinking. But somehow we let fear have all of this other power. It kept me from making a change in my career for five years. Like I was just, Mm -hmm. just overwhelmed with it. And the extent to which so many of us find ourselves making fear-based decisions is alarming. (laughs) It's really alarming. It is. It is. And you hear people use that word a lot, right? That I'm scared or I'm worried or I'm afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much. So, okay. So now you, you just mentioned that you were looking for the true meaning in what you were doing, the larger uh, compelling reason, your big overarching why. So tell, tell us a little bit about how that started to become clear. When I started with the research and making of my first pieces, I'm a spiritual person. And so I listen a lot to what I hear um, in my mind, ideas that are planted there. And so I heard that these bags you're making are to educate women. And I didn't know what that meant. And so all of us, I think, start walking according to what we understand. And so selfishly, I thought, 
that the finances being raised from the banks would go to the young women that I adore, my nieces. But that wasn't the case. Um, Two years into my, I guess actually, sorry, one year into the launch of my textile business, which makes one-of-a-kind handbags from recycled clothing, we met a band from Soweto, southwestern townships of Johannesburg. And there was a young woman named Kefilwe, and she was specifically from Dobsonville. And this young woman was just in the process of her doing her matric year and could speak and write nine languages, was intelligent, committed to her academics, and just needed funding for her school. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is the woman. And my husband, his name is Bruce, and he is what I would say at best cautiously optimistic in most situations. And he gives very diplomatic responses normally. And I asked him, Bruce, what do you think of that young woman, Kefile? Do you think she's the one for that I'm supposed to be educating with the bags? I heard him inhale, and his response was, absolutely. That's amazing. So, you know, um, when you walk a life of confirmation, you learn to watch for those signs. And so I was waiting for the sign to say, this is the person. And to have a husband who normally would say, oh, I'll have to think about it and never get back to you. That's his normal style. (laughs) And his response was affirmative, conclusive. I knew that this was the woman I was to begin with. And her name is Kefilwe Marudamang, nicknamed Sweet. And she was the first woman, Indigenous woman, she's Zulu, that we put through post-secondary school with the funds raised from our handbags, our textile art. It's just amazing. What did it feel like to have that confirmation, this new direction? The confirmation, I think because of how I walk, it felt comfortable and I was sure of it. So it felt like walking in confidence. But I think because I had the habit of walking that way, that uh, so then you can probably deduct from that I'm not an impulsive person, I'm thoughtful, all these things. (laughs) So you would never see me just like jumping on an airplane and going somewhere. So there's two sides to every coin, right? But uh, yeah, it felt like confidence. Yeah. And what was it like when you shared this with her? It was the first step of us getting to know each other and figuring out the level of trust we would offer to one another at that point. Because I'm sure because of her life situation, there were probably many people who had said various things to her, promise or a commitment or something, and possibly hadn't followed through. And for her, probably uh, in keeping with my husband, cautiously optimistic. Right. So what kind of a band was she in? She was in the Soweto Youth Marimba band that came to our region. They traveled to Waterloo region as a thank you on behalf of the Cotlands orphanages. They are a group of orphanages in South Africa. And 
residents in Waterloo County were the largest individual donors to the Cotlands. And so they, Cotlands wanted to send a thank you. And how they did that was sending this youth band. And Kafile was the lead steel drum player, gumboot dancer, and she could also play the marimbas. I'm almost speechless, but I know that's not good for a podcast. So I'm gathering. (laughs) (laughs) No. Like, seriously, all of that to come together and for you two to meet and for you to have that idea and for you to pay attention to your thoughts enough to notice the idea because so many people have these ideas, but they squish them down with doubt and Mm -hmm. that'll never work and I'm too old and it's too hard and uh, there's just so much of that. That's what's common, that you Mm -hmm. allow, you had the insight, you allowed it in and you recognized it. You, like you gave it voice, you gave that silent thought voice and took a risk and reached out to this woman. I mean, for her to be in that space and for you to be in that space, it's really unbelievable. It's a lot. (laughs) But all of those things you said are true, right? Like it's uh, some days I feel too old. Sometimes it feels too scary. Sometimes it feels, and then other days I feel like I'm walking on a cloud. I can't believe I get to do this. Right. So it's, it's just the day. And whether or not you believe that ideas that are given to you are, for myself, I should talk about myself. Ideas that are given to me are not for me. They're for the betterment of all, like Mm -hmm. whoever it touches. It's not for me and for my advancement and for my, that's who I've been made to be. Yeah, it's kind of like you have an obligation to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're you have such an enormous potential to help other people, uh, so so amazing. And I know that when we reconnected and I happened into your booth, which I I mean I just happened into your booth years ago, and I saw pictures of of this woman. And at that point, I I don't know that you had helped anybody else. I can't recall. It was very early on, and I mm-hmm. remember. my head pretty much exploded. Like it was very, it was a lot for me to get my head around what you were doing because Mm -hmm. it was, it was just so powerful. And Mm -hmm. it's one thing, I mean, just the, the story of the recycled garments and turning them into something beautiful and giving them new life. That's a very interesting piece of what you're doing, but to figure out how to help somebody else to help another woman get an education who without your help may not uh, well what is she doing now I can't even imagine she would have been doing it without this help well I I hesitate to think that she wouldn't be where she is without us because look what she had accomplished before she knew us so true yeah what I do think is it might have been more difficult And she might have had to use more energy to chase her dream. But let me tell you about where she is. When she went to university, because she comes from a traditional indigenous culture, we, we live very much like in community. So to just leave community for something 
like post-secondary education, especially in her culture, was foreign. And she received a lot of questions. Why are you away from us? What are you doing? Why aren't you with us? Why aren't you here caring for this? Et cetera, et cetera. And I can't imagine the burden of that. But Kefilwe, like she walked that path. And then behind her came her twin, who now has her ECE. And the two of them together, one with an accounting uh, education and one with early childhood education, twins, worked together in their own business that they started in their township. Uh, and they have a daycare where they assumed they would be taking care and educating their few children and a few more. I believe their school is filled within the range of close to 200 children. They've had to put on an addition and then relocate. And Kefilwe is involved in the school at the level of business does some cooking and some education of the older children who are nearing kindergarten and also works in finance. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's amazing. And so not only did she, her strength and her will and her commitment to how she saw herself and what she was worthy of, not only did it affect her, not only did it affect her family and her sister, but it's affecting the next generation of children in her community. And for them to be able to see a black woman leading in such a way, I can't imagine who the next generation of girls are going to be. Oh, that is so powerful. Have mm-hmm. you had a chance to see Kefilwe since? Have you had the chance to be actually together um, throughout her growth? <laughs> I've had the chance to be with her while she was in school, but I haven't seen her since she finished school, but we do keep in touch. Every once in a while, I get a message that says, hi, mama, like, sorry, I haven't been in touch. And these are the things, things that have been happening. And most recently, she shared her engagement, which is just so beautiful. Oh, that's so exciting. What a story. You're right, you know, uh, if she, what a strong woman she is, and Mm -hmm. it it probably would have been more difficult and probably would have taken more time. Right, but she would have got it done. Yeah, it sounds like it. It definitely sounds like that. Wow. So, like, lucky us, right? (laughs) It's it's unbelievable. How rewarding. So, who Mm -hmm. else have you helped since you had this brainwave of how to use your creativity to help so many people? Well, we've helped 19 women at the post-secondary level, and they have ranged uh, from all different Indigenous groups on continental Africa. But uh, the one like, I guess I'm the most proud of is I, we were able to help a woman. She's Anishinaabe from Winnipeg, and that's my mom's people group. And so I was so thankful and so overjoyed to be able to help someone here on Turtle Island So that was very special. And I'm still in touch with her, too. So in Canada, Winnipeg is kind of in the middle, if if, uh, you don't know where Winnipeg is. And I'm not familiar with Turtle Island. Can you explain a little bit about what this situation is like? Oh, Turtle Island is the indigenous term for North America. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
I did not know that. So how did you connect mm-hmm. with this woman? Serendipity. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Uh, There was a family that needed help. Uh, Their child was in Toronto having heart surgery, and they'd come down from the reserve from the Kenora area. And a woman by the name of Tanya Cameron, I'm never on Twitter, I should mention that. And she posted something on Twitter. I happened to be on there asking for help. And I thought, well, why don't we just pitch up and see, we'll help a little bit and see how it rolls. So we did that. And I, again, I just had this strong, strong sense I was supposed to connect with this woman, Tanya Cameron. So I was heading off to my winter shows in the fall of that year. And I messaged Tanya asking if she could make some time after I finished shows to connect via FaceTime. And we did. We uh, got on video conference call and had a chance to talk and she introduced herself and then I started to introduce myself and what I did and she sort of interrupted me in the best kind of way and said are you contacting me because you're wondering if I know of a woman who needs help with tuition because if you are I know who it is and so she connected us with this woman named Lisa And we were able to help her through her degree. Wow. And just to give a little context, Kenora is a 20-hour drive from Toronto. So again, (laughs) these are not people that you're just running into at the grocery store. Like these are situations that really are unusual that you're finding yourself connected or connecting uh, Mm -hmm. to people in, uh, in need of your help. What a connection. Mm-hmm. Wow. And people always ask, how do we find the students? And I say, we don't. They find us. <laughs> that is really something. So mm-hmm. now, how many years have you been, been out there as a textile artist helping these young women? Since 2005. Since 2005. And what would you say um, now that, you know, you have a little bit of hindsight uh, what are the biggest lessons you learned from the whole experience of, of really figuring out what your passion is, how to best utilize your skills, and what it's like to help people at such a deep level? <clears throat> well, I think if the goal is just about me, then I might as well just stay doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. There has to be something bigger than myself. Because you need that, you need that focus on the days when it's hard. And so this idea that I had really was telling stories from beginning to end. Not my story. Mm -hmm. The stories of the people who used to own the clothes. The stories of the people who bring their personal clothes to us and we transform them into bags and memories that they can carry those stories. And as we make those bags and as those people carry the pieces with them, I hope it encourages them to think about someone else. Think about the life that was lived. Think about the teachings of your grandparents if you're carrying a bag made from their clothes or memories of a sibling that you lost or things you learned when you were in university. That's the one story. 
And then as you carry that bag, the story of the women that you're affecting. So my whole vision and the whole thing that motivates me is as I'm thinking about others, that when people wear my work, that it encourages them to think about others and their story. Again, I'm speechless, but I know that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That is just so beautiful. I mean, I, I don't even... How do you find the recycled clothes? I I just am imagining, how are you, you must have a system now about how you're finding the pieces and how, I know how people find you and Mm -hmm. they bring you something that's meaningful to them, but how do you actually find clothes to work with? Well, there's a a consignment store in Kitchener that understands what we're doing. And so they save specific pieces that someone has consigned to them, didn't sell, and didn't pick up. And so they donate that to us, which helps us keep our costs down. We have remnants from memory bags that we make from the memory bags we make from people's special clothing, and they don't want the remnants back, so we have those. And then I go shopping at all these recycled clothing stores that you see around you. And I'm sure that's super fun. Um, I actually haven't been doing it my oh, whole really? life, but oh. no, we, but I was raised using things that we had using it again. Wow. Well, the piece that I purchased has this beautiful blue that I think mm-hmm. is from the seventies. It's a light blue with like a gray, like a blue gray type of feeling. It's leather. So I would imagine mm-hmm. it came from a leather jacket. There's a belt that is the Mm -hmm. strap, and there's some beautiful batik fabric that lines the bag. Yes, and we haven't even talked about the batik. (laughs) Well, and I want to talk about the batik because then I have a second piece that has tweed and leather and also a little bit of batik. So the batik is stunning, and I love the combination of something really traditional and something funky like batik. Right. Yes, it's a beautiful fabric, and it always comes out uniquely. Even on the meters and meters of exactly the same color, the application of the printing style, it's actually uh, resistance printing, that it comes out uniquely each time because you can't always control the flow of the dye, and that's what I love about it. And it's one of my favorite textiles. And that was actually what got me noticing the recycled stores was because I was reading about how and learning about how we weren't able to get batiks as often because North Americans were exporting their recycled clothes, helping people on continental Africa and Eastern Asia, and it was decimating their textile mills. And I thought, what? That's my favorite textile. What am I going to do? to make sure that I can still get it. And that got me going. So you make the batiks? No, I don't. I buy them from the women, like the traditional places where it's made, Eastern Africa and Asia. And I try to keep as many of our recycled clothes here as possible because the average North American throws away 90 pounds of textile waste a year. And Countries, I'm not sure if you've read about this or not, but there are countries on continental Africa who have made it, or the countries have made it illegal to import recycled clothes. 
right? So that means we as North Americans are going to have to face our textile waste. And way back in 2005, that dawned on me. And I thought, rather than buying new materials to make things, why not use the things we're discarding? That's beautiful. That's, that's so mm. interesting. And one of the, well, maybe it's not a new product anymore, but I remember when you introduced the idea of the memory bags and, mm-hmm. you know, how many of us have some ugly old leather jacket from university hanging in a closet doing nothing? So can you talk to us a little bit about what you do with those? Well, yes. I'm not actually sure how it happens, but university leather jackets, when they hang in the closet, they tend to shrink. <laughs> And you get them out and they don't fit anymore. Right. But you want to have, right. You want to have that nostalgia and those memories with you. And I would think not just at homecoming. (laughs) So we take those leather jackets and we deconstruct them and we hand dry clean them. And then we transform them into the bag style of your choice. The majority of people have their university jackets transformed into an overnight duffel bag that they can use as a carry-on or like a weekend away with the girls or the guys, that kind of thing, that kind of bag. And then they also take them to homecoming redesigned. That's so cool. That is really, really cool. Joanne, I don't even know what to say with you. I am just (laughs) blown away by everything Uh that you're doing the way that you were just wise beyond your years, listening to the ideas that were popping into your head, the way that you capitalized on a genuine interest of of yours as a sewer and as somebody who loved textiles and somebody who focused on recycling in your, your, uh, your, what was it, your thesis? Mm -hmm. It's just amazing. You've pulled everything together. And that is such a lesson too for, Anyone who's feeling stuck and confused about where they'll find joy moving forward. And I'm Mm -hmm. always saying that there are so many hints and clues in terms of what you always love doing. It's just really looking at it in a slightly different way. And the importance of focusing on helping others will Mm -hmm. really guide you on how you can creatively think about what you're doing and where you want to go next. Agreed. Yes, look for the those solid stones, right, that are in place throughout your life that form the path. Uh, that is it. That's it exactly. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing your story. Can you tell us, of course, I'm going to add these links into the show notes, but if anybody wants to get a hold of you and look at your beautiful work, where should they go? Our website is mindrecreations.com, and that's not as in your brain. That's as in denim backwards. So it's M-I-N-E-D, recreations, with an S, dot com. Awesome. So I'll be putting that website link in the show notes. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. You're, you're so mm. inspirational. Your work is so beautiful. And mm. the storytelling component of your story was a pleasure to bring onto the podcast Women in the Middle. And I know it's just going to inspire so many other women. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Susie. That's it for today's episode. What a story, right? I'm sure you'll agree your life can get way more fulfilling when you are passionate about what you're doing and why you're doing it. I love how Joanne was so candid 
about her search for meaning in her life and how she understood how important it was to do so, especially now that she knows how hard it can be. She also shared how much discomfort there was along the way, right? That is a part of reality. It really is. But knowing she knew exactly how she could best use her gifts and talents to help people, it made all of the discomfort worth it. I hope you're inspired by Joanne's story. I would love to hear what came up for you as you listened. I have a feeling some of your own ideas about what you're really passionate about doing can no longer be ignored. Okay, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you waste less time spinning and feeling stuck. It's time to get excited about your life again, my friend. Being the queen of your brain domain is the best way to be. Check out the show notes with more information and links about how to get in touch with Joanne at Mind Recreations at SusieRosenstein.com. Download my free ebook, Nine Secrets to Get Unstuck in Your 50s, at www.susierosenstein.com forward slash nine secrets. And there are three ways to connect more with me in the future. The first way is to join the free Women in the Middle Community Facebook group where we continue the podcast conversation. Just head over to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Women in the Middle Community. The second way is to work with me directly. Get unbelievably effective coaching to take you from being stuck and confused to being crystal clear and excited about your future. Just book a free call and let's talk about it. Head over to www.talktosuzie.com. And the third way is to become a first lady, of course. Join my new midlife membership, Finally First. It's an upbeat virtual community for midlife women who want clarity, courage, and connection to make the changes they want in their next chapter. Sign up for the VIP waitlist now because the doors will open again soon and you will be ready to go. Head over to www.iamfinallyfirst.com. Let's do this, ladies. It's time to be finally first, one thought at a time. Talk to you next week.